Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jack Rico, and thank you for listening to episode 35 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. This is the show for those of you who love to live on the intersection of American and Latino pop culture. There's a lot that went on this week. I mean, you have the James Comey testimony that everyone's still talking about, the NBA Finals with the Golden State Warriors as they get revenge on LeBron James and the Cavs. But we're going to focus on Tom Cruise's The Mummy reboot, which is out this weekend. It was a massive disappointment to me. I'll be talking to Mike Sargent, chief film critic of WBAI Radio, who also contributes film reviews nationally on the Fox Business Network with Maria Bartiromo, on what went wrong and what it means for Universal Pictures' dark universe. And we also talked Pixar's new Latino movie, Coco. The trailer and cast announcements were released this week, and I talked to Kelvin Chavez, former owner of LatinoReview.com and now editor-in-chief of SplashReport.com, to discuss if ethnic animated films can be appealing to all races. That and a recap of the top headlines in U.S. Latino pop culture this week. Joining me now is Mike Sargent, chief film critic of WBAI Radio, who also contributes film reviews on the Fox Business Network with Maria Bartiromo. Uh, Mike, what's going on, buddy? What's going on with you, son? Nothing much. People are going to the movies tonight, uh, and one of the options that they have to see is Tom Cruise's The Mummy. How did you get out of that plane? There's not a single scratch on your body. You are alive because you were cursed. Cursed? The ultimate evil. Universal Pictures is trying to recreate or kind of mimic the template that Marvel and DC have adapted of creating this universe where all these characters sort of have individual films, origin films, to then assemble to create a super team to fight one evil super monster villain. Um, And their first attempt is the reboot of The Mummy that they have now included Tom Cruise. Have you had a chance to see the, the film? Well, you know, before I tell you what I thought, I feel like I want to hear yours because I, <laughs> I, th- I think you have a different opinion than I do because I did not hate it, which I think you did. I, I definitely had some problems. Uh, uh, but, I mean, if you want, I'll tell you or do you want to tell me first? All right, listen, I'll, I'll tell you first. You know, one of the main problems that I had with The Mummy, uh, I, did not, I, I, I was disappointed. Um, I thought they did some good, some things good, and I think they did mostly things that upset me, uh, that disappointed me, that just wasn't what I was expecting from this film. Number one, this is an action comedy. I was expecting an action horror film. The thing mostly that stood out to me, comically at least, was 
This is the type of comedy that Tom Cruise is not suited for. Let me explain. The best comedy that Tom Cruise has always done, Tom Cruise has always been known either as, most likely as an action star, right? Uh, we kind of ignore the early, early films. Uh, he's really come to his own in the action genre. We see him in action here again, but now we have the double layer of comedy. And comedy is a tricky thing because comedy has varying dimensions, varying degrees of comedy. Um, the very hardcore R-rated Seth Rogen comedy is very funny, suits Seth very well. Tom Cruise has played with comedy before, and I feel that the one that is best custom to him is the one from Tropic Thunder. And you remember the agent when he wore the fat absolutely, suit, he was bold. Absolutely, yeah, no, he was That's great. where he kind of just cemented himself and kind of drew the the eyes of the world couldn't say, wait a minute, Tom does this level of comedy? No one ever thought, because it was such a contrast from everything else he had done. And then when you look at Rock of Ages, another very good comical Tom Cruise performance. It was very satirical, uh, and, and, and you liked him in there. You, you laughed with him. Here, this type of comedy that you see in The Mummy is a very PG-13 comedy. It's a safe comedy. It's very, at moments, it could be slapsticky. Um, the terrible dialogue that they gave him, these extremely corny one-liners, were distracting, were not Tom Cruise. Listen, if you had a balance of the Rock of Ages and the Mummy comedy, the way Edge of Tomorrow was, where it had moments of comedy that you felt was very Tom, almost witty. This is not witty at all. This is bad writing in a bad comical format that doesn't suit Tom Cruise. And by the way, Tom was completely off brand with this. I don't know why he did this. He doesn't need the money. I guess he was looking at this as a form of, uh, of being part of a franchise tentpole that Universal Pictures is trying to create here. But it just seemed infantile. It seemed made for kids. Uh, Russell Crowe was terrible. Uh, the, the, the fighting, some of the action scenes, I'm not going to lie. The best action scenes were on the trailer. But the dialogues were horrendous. They should never hire these screenwriters again. I don't know what they wanted to do. And Tom, off, Tom came off terribly in terms of his brand. Uh, this is a movie that cannot, that has to be deleted from his body of work. Jack, first of all, I think you should come out of your shell and tell me what you really think. <laughs> what, do you, what do you really think about this film? Uh, well, all right. You know, I, I can't disagree with most of what you said. And, and in terms of the, you know, my, my review is, is different. Okay. First of all, uh, I didn't hate it as much as you did. Uh, and I did not go in with really any expectations at all okay um and you're right you know the, the universal uh is trying to launch what they're calling their dark universe with this film and uh you know this is not the first time that they've done this they have long owned the rights to the mummy dracula son of Fra uh, frankenstein i love uh, the concept right? 
I well, love the concept yeah. of dusting off these old, you know, monsters, classic institutional cinematic monsters to kind of create something. It's a fresh thinking. It's not necessarily original, but when you apply it to their archive of characters, it makes sense. And I just feel that this was a failed attempt at creating a universal, quote unquote, no pun intended, uh, family sort of uh, universe where Marvel is known for it. You know, being funny, but having a lot of action. And I just don't think it worked here. I much prefer the Brendan Fraser, The Mummy uh, trilogy than this mummy. And I, I disagree with you completely about the Brendan Fraser mummies because I'm not a Brendan Fraser fan and I'm not a big fan of Oh, come movies. on! Please. Anyway, my point, though, is that I felt, okay, the Universal's tried to do this before. They did it with Van Helsing, and that was a fail. Uh, and they, they've tried to relaunch a couple Dracula films. Those have all pretty much failed. And I think the idea here is good. And I probably would have enjoyed this a little bit more if I had not seen Penny Dreadful. Have you uh, seen Penny Dreadful? Yeah, the one on Showtime, I believe it is. Right. Ha have you seen much of that? No, no. It's with right. Josh Hartnett. Right. With Josh Hartnett, who I always thought had like zero talent. Okay. But I have to say he's very good in that. Penny Dreadful, the premise of Penny Dreadful, and I want to spoil it so you might want to tune away for a minute but the premise of penny dreadful is brilliant okay and it takes a while because you don't realize what the premise is right away the premise of penny dreadful <laughs> is that you know you meet these characters and uh the former james bond timothy dalton timothy dalton timothy dalton, and he's brilliant in the in the role he's and and eva green is great in the role but you know you meet Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, you meet Frankenstein, you meet uh, uh, Dorian Gray. Like they have, it's a really brilliant way of tying them all together. This version, this mummy is a very watered down, uh, yes. you know, of uh, watered down, um, let's just say weak version of that same premise. Okay. And Russell Crowe, who is at this point growing into being like today's Richard Burton, you know, mm -hmm. where it's all about how he talks. And mm -hmm. um, I thought the idea, like you said, is good, I think. But it's such a hodgepodge. There's nothing about it that's original. You know, you mentioned the writing. I didn't hate it, okay? It's a total popcorn movie, in my opinion. But it, it's a hodgepodge. Like, I saw Indiana Jones. Clearly, Tom Cruise is playing an Indiana Jones-type character who essentially is a treasure hunter uh, and goes after relics, but he's not looking to put these relics into museum. He's looking to sell them. But somehow he's been he's able to... He's a thief. Right. He's a thief, but he's somehow been able to maintain uh, his position in the military, which, of course, is fairly unbelievable. But at the same time, could have could have been... <laughs> so much that's unbelievable right, in this Right, it's film. unbelievable, but it could have been a political statement there. But but they avoided that completely. And then the romance aspect of this, I just never felt... Well, towards again, the end, The romance he's aspect so... of this is, very, uh, once again, very similar to Indiana Jones. But at the same time, they try to have some of the elements of the original mummy with the curse and, and what happened in the past and, and what they did and what he did. And, and, and they were trying to recreate Indiana Jones is what I'm hearing. from. Well, it, Indiana Jones, but not just Indiana Jones There's a big helping of American werewolf in London in there as well. Okay. And I thought that, you know, while it's fun and the idea of like your dead friend coming back and talking to you, 
telling you he's going to show you how things are and whatnot. That's straight out of American World. And I felt that this is closer in tone in terms of blending action or, or comedy and horror uh, in closer in tone to American Werewolf than it is to Indiana Jones or anything else. But I do agree with you. I think the issue here with Tom Cruise in this role is, you know, it's interesting. You say Tom Cruise. When you think of Tom Cruise, I don't know that a personality comes across, okay, in terms of But, you of know, what? a personality does not come across, but you know what comes across? What? An expectation. An Perhaps. expectation of high quality action film. And when the and when and the trailer basically sold us this airplane scene, which was very similar to the mission, uh Mission Impossible uh, Ghost Protocol uh scene where he's in the plane and it just seemed like out of this world action stunt, something that Christopher Nolan would do in the Batman movies. And, and, and you thought you were getting a lot of that. You thought the whole film was going to be that, never thinking there was going to be these comical moments that were usurping most of like 60% of the film. You know, the whole tone of it was very comical. Well, for me, I, I don't watch trailers anymore, so I, I, I didn't have a trailer. Mike, what? Yeah, you know why? I'll be honest with you. As a film critic, I see so many movies, and the trailers give away so much of the movie. I hate sitting in a film waiting for what I don't know is going to happen to start happening. Okay, so I, I really, unless I have to, I don't watch trailers. But I, going back to your thoughts on Tom Cruise, I do agree with you because, like I said, I don't see Tom Cruise as having any like personality. Like if you say Kevin Hart, okay. When you go see Kevin Hart movie, expect to see Kevin Hart, okay? Tom Cruise in this is a cipher. His character, I couldn't even tell you his character's name, okay? I couldn't tell you anything about his character except that it's Tom Cruise, okay? Mm -hmm. It's Tom Cruise in an action role. Now, he, different than, let's say, a Harrison Ford. Because Harrison Ford, if you remember when he took over the, the Jack Ryan series... All of a sudden, everything that Alec Baldwin had brought to it was thrown out. Now, all of a sudden, it's Harrison Ford. Right. And Harrison Ford, in actuality, has a stronger on-screen personality, you know, maybe to his detriment, why he's not been able to play too many roles other than like what he did in 42. And now that he's older, he can do more character roles. So much that, you know, it, it was he was a cipher. There was absolutely nothing about him other than what the script said that made him unique as a character. I had no idea who he was, where he came from, if he had any family, nothing. He was just a cipher. He was just there to serve the plot. And if you got a character like that, I, again, I agree with you, you know, you need somebody who's going to bring something to the role. He brought nothing to the role because there was nothing in the role. So, well, it's screenwriters once again. That, well, they just didn't write in anything worthy of substance. That's By the what way, I'm. I again, that's where I agree with you. There was nothing about the screenplay or this character that made you care about him, other than the fact that he was Tom Cruise. Agree. Um, speaking of Tom Cruise, do you believe that Tom Cruise is still a big enough name to get people in the theaters? Absolutely. Absolutely. So just because it's Tom Cruise, Absolutely. you think people should just people will just probably well, go and sit think, down and, and watch Universal a film. Was thinking, Even if it's bad, like Jack Reacher, the Jack Reacher Absolutely. sequel, which was Absolutely. Terrible. I think that, you know, in Hollywood, A-list is A-list is A-list because that means that's an actor who can open a movie. Their name alone. You don't even have to have anything about the movie. You just put their face on the poster and people will go. And I think that, you know, they were hoping for the same kind of thing with Hugh Jackman and Van Helsing where mm -hmm. people will go for Hugh Jackman, 
you know, but Hugh Jackman <laughs> wasn't quite big enough a star then. And Hugh Jackman, even today, still needs a good role for people to really pay money to go see him because he's done films like mm. Butter, where, like, you know, you want to talk about an actor out of their element who's not funny. Hugh Jackman is not funny. Okay. Uh, whereas he's not. I think Tom Cruise is funny. I think Tom Cruise does know how to do comedy. I think I think Tom Cruise can be funny within be funny. a particular type of comedy. I just don't think he's. I um, think Tom Cruise is like any good actor needs a good role. Like I loved him in Magnolia. I loved him in in uh, the what's the rock and roll one we were just talking Rock about? of Ages. Rock. I loved him in Rock of Ages. Yeah. I loved him in Tropic Thunder. But those were all specific characters. Whereas in this one, all he's doing is kind of playing. Honestly, like a younger Tom Cruise, like, okay, this is Tom Cruise in his 30s, not Tom Cruise in his 50s. You know, you, you, you're supposed to believe he's he just... seems off brand. He's, he's not the family friendly actor star anymore. Or, or, or well, I don't know if he what, ever was, but well, he's no he, longer he, that guy. He's well, not he's, meant for family films. This is what he does, though. But I mean, again, you ask, why did he do this? Because it's an opportunity to take 20 years off of his himself and put himself back in the range of the kind of films that the rock is doing imagine if this film was the rock and he's oh it worked so much better with the rock because rock brings so much personality to his characters and so Mm -hmm. much of his persona to his characters that you're enjoying it because it's the rock tom cruise needs a good role he needs a good script Whereas yeah. we've seen The Rock be in tons of films where they call him, you know, franchise Viagra because, you know, it's just he got he's in it and he just brings so much energy to it. You love it. But is it time, Mike, to start reassessing Tom Cruise's Hollywood star value? Uh, is it time that we just start saying, look, Tom Cruise just doesn't have it anymore and they need to create a different type of film for him in order in order for him to be successful. Uh, you know, I, I don't think so. I think Tom Cruise is still got a lot of. Uh, he's only fifty four, and I, I will say, I have to say, I have to. I wondered looking at this film because they did lots of close ups on him on the big screen, and it's almost as if like they digitized him looking younger because Tom Cruise did not look this young in his last three films. So I, I don't no, know no, what he's. No, I don't right. know. I don't know if he's. I had, noticed the same exact thing. I, I well, that was his. I was like, they did all these close-ups, and I'm like, this dude is 54. He looks 35 here, and it's a little unnatural. It just only because I've been seeing and watching Tom Cruise age, and I don't know. Maybe it's that the Botox. I don't know what it is he's done. They do it with magazines. They always have done it. They're, they're yes. just now well, and, transferring and that over to cinema, you know? Right. I mean, in the new Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, there's a sequence where we see a teenage Johnny Depp, and all they did is kind of digitize Listen. and make him skinny here. Rogue One used the same thing with uh, Princess Fisher. Leia. Yes, they yeah. did. So, I mean, we're in that age. Well, not to mention Princess Leia. That was only one shot throughout the whole thing. Moff Tarkin was, you know, completely digital. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, digitally enhancing. I mean, we watched them do it with, uh, um, uh, what's his name, Robert Downey Jr. In uh, one of his films recently, I think it was one of the, and he, you know, we see a younger version of him. I don't remember which film it was now. One of the, maybe one of the Marvel movies. And so it is something that's done. So I don't know, but I just think that Tom Cruise, you know, still has, um, you know, gas in the tank, as mm-hmm. it were. You know, I don't know what American Made is going to be like, uh, but I do think that, you know, if he's in the right role, 
he can still have major hits. There have been Tom Cruise movies that have come out where I like the movie more than like Edge of Tomorrow. I loved Edge of Tomorrow, but I loved uh, it. I loved it. I liked Oblivion too, and I liked. I mean, I, I like most of Jack Oblivion. Okay. Yeah, like most not the of, sequel. Not what? the sequel. Not the sequel. No, the sequel. The original Jack Reacher was excellent. I like. I agree with you a hundred percent. I like the original Jack Reacher. Uh, I think. I will say this now. You ask in terms of A-list stars. Honestly, I think Cruz is a better actor than Will Smith. Of course, and I, I totally like, agree with you. And too. I like Will Smith. I don't get me wrong. I like Will Smith, but Will Smith always seems like he's acting to me. I always catch him acting. Interesting. And Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. I don't always feel he's acting. I feel he's doing the role. I don't feel that like, oh, he's acting. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like Absolutely. I may feel I feel I may feel he's not stretching himself, but I don't feel like, oh, he's acting. How do you see the impact of if the mummy doesn't do well at the box office, which looks like it won't, it looks like the Wonder Woman's gonna beat the mummy. And right. that's a sad state of affairs for Tom Cruise's brand and Universal Pictures with the <laughs> entry point of uh, the dark universe. But if it doesn't do well, what kind of impact, negative impact, do you think this dark universe will suffer? You think the blow will be big enough that they do not continue to do the dark universe? Well, I think, no, I don't think, I think they've invested too much. I think as you know, we've got the Bride of Frankenstein coming out. I think Universal is not going to give up the ghost. I mean, like I said, they've been trying for a while to reboot their franchises. They own these properties, they're valuable properties. They may, again, I, if I, if they were smart, they'd bring in the writer of Penny Dreadful and let him do it because they've stolen his idea in a way and kind of watered it down. I, I was not impressed. You know, we've been talking about Tom Cruise. What were your thoughts on Russell Crowe? We talk about slumming it. What was Russell Crowe doing in this movie? I don't want to say he was miscast, but it didn't roll. The character of Dr. Jekyll didn't roll off of him the way I've seen him in other on Broadway shows, I feel actors do a better job. This was just odd, man. The whole movie felt odd. The characters didn't feel like the romance didn't feel like it was real. Tom Cruise uh, felt off brand. Russell Crowe, I never took him seriously as Dr. Jekyll. Um, there was so much. I know what they were trying to do. Alex Kurtzman, the director, was trying to reinvent this, reset the whole thing from Slade, put in big stars and hope that the big stars were going to bring their A-game. And I don't think it was the stars. I just think it was the script that ultimately failed them and failed the actors. Well, I can't disagree with you. I think that the, that the script was the weakest link here. There were things I did like. I, I, uh, uh, like I said, I thought it was fun. Uh I thought that the premise is interesting, uh, but I also thought that if you're going to go, if you're going to create this universe, I feel, again, this is why having seen Penny Dreadful, go further. Give me some, like, really, see, what I think a lot of, and they're just beginning to get with it over at DC or at Warner Brothers, the, the beauty of the Marvel uh, cinematic universe is that you know, and again, let's be honest. They 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 had a huge head start with you know fifty years of comics, but the or more like seventy five years of comics. But I think the beauty of the Marvel uh, uh, Cinematic Universe is that it is interconnected, and we we see elements of things that will come down the line. So they've sat and planned out. They you know they do it in phases 
what mm-hmm. Universal should have done, similar to like what they do with a TV series, is create a Bible. Okay, decide. Okay, here are six main characters. They're going to be here, here, here. Cast them, figure them out, assign it. Take the time instead of you know busting their ass to put out the mummy and and maybe Bride of Frankenstein. You know, Russell Crowe should have been signed on for whatever ten pictures, like they did with Sam Jackson. Okay, right. And 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 say, okay, we got Tom Cruise. He's going to sign on for two or three or whatever we're going to do. We got this one, and then find ways to incorporate. Like we should have seen, like we saw a skull of a vampire. We should have gotten a little more than that. We we we. You know, if if they're going to be bringing these characters into this universe, set me up so I'm excited about these other films coming. They've done this like it's a standalone film, and that's not how you should do this kind of film. That that lame ending, which I won't give away, the lame ending of this movie, letting you know, yes, there will be a sequel, was just that. It was lame. And there's no post-credit sequence. There's nothing for no, me. I think that was another fail. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing be- for me that makes me want to go, oh, I can't wait to see the next part of the dark universe because i didn't get enough of a sense of the universe other than us walking through at this point what looks like a sequence from a marvel film with the collector where you're supposed to say oh maybe that's this maybe that's that it was so it was obvious they hadn't planned out what's going to happen with these other movies and i think that's a mistake uh, did you just did, did you see the new um, black panther poster that just dropped today no just dropped. I just posted it on showbizcafe.com. Uh, they're really going all out for this, man. The trailer, the teaser trailer drops tonight on the NBA Finals. Where it looks like the Cavs are going to lose, are going to get swept by the Warriors. But I guess in one of those commercials, they're going to put out the teaser trailer. So I can't wait for that. I can't wait for this movie. Any thoughts on uh, on your end? Black Panther will be a game changer. I think it'll be a game changer because, like anything else, science fiction. You know, and re- let's, let's let's put it this way: reboots, remakes, reimaginings, retellings are going to get old. Okay. Right. Then at the same time, how many times are we going to have the white male hero? We've seen it a bazillion times. We've seen it Marvel, DC, takeoffs, knockoffs. I think that what Black Panther will do is inject new blood, new sensibility into a, a genre, and I think that they're underestimating even to to themselves the effect i think part of the reason wonder woman is doing so well wonder woman's good it's not great but it's good but it's good enough it's good enough and it's different enough and it appeals to different audience than all the other marvel movies all the other dc movies all the other superhero movies i think that black panther will be a game changer in terms of what they call now afrofuturism and, and, and <laughs> is that what they're calling it? That's what they call it. The back in my day when I was doing science fiction, it was black science fiction. Now it's called Afrofuturism. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be a game changer. I, I honestly do. And I think Luke Cage was the tip of the iceberg. Oh, you know, Luke Cage was had such great promise until those last two, you know, episodes uh, well, I've towards the season it, it, finale. Yeah. Well, you know, again, that's another conversation too. But but that's a whole other conversation. Mike, uh, chief film critic of WBAI Radio, who also contributes to the Fox Business Network uh, with Maria Bartiromo. Uh You do a great job, by the way, there. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but, you're but, you're but, excellent, man. I feel like Maria, you know, looks at you like in awe every time you, you like speak. Well, you know, I, yeah, <laughs> you know, no comment. But, no. but I, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't have uh, I don't have the name that you have though I don't I can't I'm not 
Jack Rico. <laughs> but you're <Sergeant>. Mike. <laughs> I got to salute you, Sergeant. <laughs> Jack Rico. <laughs> Where can people reach you if they want to check out your film reviews and everything else? Mike, I'm on Twitter. I'm Mike on screen. Uh, and uh, my late night radio show is called Night Shift, but the website is life is like science fiction.com. Mike, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. Talk to you soon. It's time for Jack Dick. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Terry Gilliam's Don Quixote has finally been finished after 17 years of production. Spanish director Jaume Collet said I will direct Waco about the Waco, Texas siege of 1993. After its $103 million opening weekend, there are already talks about a sequel to Wonder Woman 2. Sony is planning to release clean versions of their movies on home video and check out the new photos of Lin-Manuel Miranda in Mary Poppins Returns on her website, showbizcafe.com. In TV news, Fox cancels 24 Legacy. Univision's Despierta America has let go of its young star anchor, William Valdez. Eva Longoria and Kerry Washington will star in Universal Pictures 24-7. Zoe Saldana's production company, Sinistar, is bringing an Israeli mother show to the U.S. Univision's LA station, KMEX, has been nominated for 18 LA Emmys, and Cheddar, the live video news streaming platform targeting millennials, will now be airing on Univision's Fusion TV. Switching over to music. Taylor Swift releases her whole music catalog on Spotify the same day Katy Perry released her new album Witness. Univision's Premios Juventud is going to be nuts this year. Mainstream artist Iggy Azalea and DNC with Joe Jonas will be performing live. Plus, J Balvin, Maluma, Gente de Zona, and Wisin will be performing as well with Leslie Grace and Jesse E. Joy also co-hosting. Sam Smith and Kanye West are working on new music respectively, and Camila Cabello went on the British radio show Capital FM with host Roman Kemp and was dared to sing Despacito. Have a listen. Despacito, quiero respirar tu cuello despacito, deja que te diga cosas al oído, para que te acuerdes si no estás conmigo. Despacito, quiero desnudarte a besos despacito. Firmo en las paredes de tu laberinto y hacer de tu cuerpo todo un manuscrito. In digital and social media news, Apple introduced in its annual developers conference screen recording in Amazon Prime on its Apple TV and the new HomePod, the competition to Amazon's Alexa Echo. Apple has also launched Planet of the Apps, available for streaming now on Apple Music. Snapchat is down 22% in the last two months, while Instagram continues growing over year, and Kevin Hart ranks as the number one comedian on social media. And joining me now is the former owner of latinareview.com and now editor-in-chief of splashreport.com, Kelvin Chavez, good friend of mine for years. Kelvin, great to have you on the podcast, my man. Thank you very much for having me, boy. The new Pixar Coco uh, poster trailer just came out this week, and I was extremely interested in knowing your thoughts on this, simply because Pixar does not make ethnic films they, it's just they just don't i remember watching toy story 3 and there was a moment where buzz lightyear was dancing flamenco or something like that that's yeah, how they've yeah. always integrated diversity or ethnicity or inclusion it's within the traits of the white characters when you saw coco recently this past one dude i got chills because i felt that what pixar was doing here 
was they were using the Mexican Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, as a background to a family story of a kid who misses his ancestors. Once every year, our ancestors come back to our world. Please have a safe journey. To see family <laughs> and friends. But no living person has ever visited their world. Until now. Latino stories are always much more richer in family stories than probably most, you know, cultures. So I wanted to know what you thought of it. Did you see it with your family? What did your family think about it? Uh, what's your take on whether this movie will be successful or not? I saw the trailer, I guess, I guess like when you did, what, a day ago, a day and a half ago, and... The first thing that I thought to myself was that it looks beautiful. 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 Like a dream. Like a dream. Yeah, exactly. And I said, okay, I I get where Pixar is going with this. They want to, uh, I believe, capture the Latino audience, right? But then I showed it to my kids and I showed it to my wife and they all thought the same thing. It's beautiful. Very beautiful. But it's not like they're going to run to see it. Why not? Because you're Hispanic, you have you know, a Hispanic I, I, family. I, I, this is a Hispanic film, and I get it. They're trying to capture the Hispanic family, which you have, and you're now telling me that they're not going to go run see it. I guess because the aspect, um, they, Pixar is only capturing one aspect of the Latino culture, the Mexican one. The Mexican one. We're not all like I said before. We're not all Mexican. I don't relate to the day of the dead i don't celebrate the day of the dead so you know to me it was like beautiful i'll see it because it is pixar but other than that i have you know like okay it looks beautiful that's it and the same thing with my kids and look you and i you see my kids i go through i see how can i say i see stuff through their eyes because that's the audience that the studio wants correct they want to capture that age group. But uh, it's not like they thought it was awesome because it's a Pixar film, but it's not like they can relate to it. You know what I mean? And yes, you are right. A Latino is about family. Uh, for me, for example, it is all about family. But uh, I just thought that it was beautiful, and I thought that Pixar, I'm glad that Pixar is uh, doing uh, something like this to capture, you know, uh, a good entire culture from one, you know, from one aspect. Let me ask you two questions. Number one, yeah. is this going to be a problem with Hispanic audiences because of the fragmentation uh, of Hispanics living in the United States and across the world? Mexicans are not Argentinians. Is this going to be a problem that maybe Pixar did not foresee? And then secondly, will white audiences go see this film? hilarious how you said the white audience. I I thought about the same thing. I I said, how are they going to market this film? How? Right, right. right. Exactly. I I would love to know how they come. Because uh, a few years ago, I think like two or three years ago, or or, yeah, two years ago, you know, they tried it already. Don't get me wrong. This is the second time that I've seen a studio go after this culture, which is the Day of the Dead, um, with that, I think it was DreamWorks or Fox, with the uh, Book of Life, mm-hmm. and it had Chad and Tatum on it, 
And yeah, it had Zoe Saldana, it had Diego yeah. Luna. And I don't think it was, you know, that successful. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I can't look it up on, on Box Office Mojo right now, but I don't know if that movie made any, you know, money or if anybody wants to see it. I know, like, none of my friends or none of my kids' friends, you know, friends' kids, uh, they all went to see it. None of them went to see it. All right, why? Yeah. Why, because, why didn't Hispanics go see a Hispanic film? <laughs> because <laughs> I'm telling you, because we're not all... Like like Hollywood, if they want Hollywood has to get it correct sometimes. We're not all Mexicans. And I'm not trying to, you know, say anything bad about Mexicans because I love the culture and I love Mexican people. No, it's a fact. It's a fact. You're not it's Mexican. It's a fact. We're, we're not all Mexicans. You know what I mean? It's like that's I guess probably one of the reasons. I'm not really sure. What I'm hearing is this is that Coco, the Book of Life, any of these animated Hispanic films that they're trying to create. Mm-hmm. are films that you don't necessarily resonate with because Correct. they don't necessarily speak to you, even though that I'm sure marketers guaranteed that Kelvin's family was going to go see this film. <laughs> They're like, dude, there's no way Kelvin is not going to go see this film. Check this out. Brown people, Latinos, <laughs> Spanish. They checked all the boxes. You know, they said Jack Rico's going to go see this with his whole, like, you know, friends and family. Uh, but but you've basically said no. So what does it take for you to take your family? Is it non-ethic films? Do you like white Hollywood formulaic films? No, I mean, I guess for me, it has to be a good story, I guess, you know. This is a good story. No, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's why I said, okay, put it this way. Come, did you see The Book of Life? I did not, but okay. it's not because I didn't want to. It's uh, I wasn't in the country around that time, and then when I went to go see it, I just didn't hear amazing reviews about it, even though uh, Guillermo del Toro was the producer, Jorge Gutierrez yeah, yeah. was the director. Uh, that that was an all-star voice cast. Eugenio Derbez, Diego Luna, Zoe Saldana, Channing Tatum, Christina Applegate, Ron Perlman from the Hellboy movies, Danny Trejo from Machete, Ice Cube, yeah, yeah. Cheech Marin. So top of the line, it made... A hundred million dollars. I think it broke probably yeah. even. Maybe it, it might have even. made uh, ten million dollars in profit or here and there. It cost fifteen million dollars to make. So I wouldn't call it a success, but I wouldn't call it a failure either. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I just I, haven't exactly. been interested necessarily in in that story of like a love triangle and a torero. What? It's not my cup of tea story because I'm an exactly. adult. But I wouldn't go see that movie. But if I had kids, I maybe. Yeah, see, it's, it's the same like what you were saying. It's not my cup of tea, you know. It's like, um, and it's not because it's white or anything like that. It's just like I've seen this. I've seen studios already like push this to my face, like the Book of Life, the with the Day of the Dead. It sounds like you I resent it. You no, resent no, when Hollywood creates something that says, look, you fit in this box. And I think <laughs> that you I'm get like, angry. No, and you're like, no, I don't. I don't no, fit I, in that box, damn it. No, it's like, dude, at one time, tell me tell me back in the days uh, when I started Latino Review and I'm on another side, but back in the days when they used to push to us, I don't know if they pushed it to you, but they used to push it to me all the time, those uh, indie films directed by either a white person or a Latino person in regards to crossing the border. I hate you crossing know? the border movies. I just, <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, I just dude, hate. it's I not my experience. To that. You know, it's like. You know, I'm like, stop pushing this stuff to me about crossing the border, like stuff like that. I was like, it was getting at, and with this, 
they're pushing the Day of the Dead all the time, the Book of Life. I don't know if you saw Spectra, the the James Bond film. Yeah, they that opening scene in Mexico City was beautiful. Scene, the Day of the Dead. I'm like, come on, dude, really? That was beautiful. Like, it was dope. It was, don't get me wrong, but it's like, you know, like like you said, they keep pushing it to your face all the time. Like, well, you know what happens? Culture that we have. My opinion on the reason that Hollywood always goes to the low-hanging fruit of Mexico is because Mexico, unfortunately, uh, you know, in the United States is the most richest popular culture in Latin America. Uh, Colombia is a close second, maybe, you know, uh, because there's so many Pablo Escobar, but it's all in a very negative light. I think Mexico is one of the few ones, the few countries, probably the, the most single country that has a positive, rich culture in their food, in their customs, um, uh, the, 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 the Spanish that we mostly consume in the United States is novellas that come from Mexico. Uh, now we're starting to see maybe a little bit more Colombian, a little bit more Argentine, Venezuela. Brazilian, Venezuela. They Venezuela telenovelas. That's true. Oh. Venezuela telenovelas were, were, were part of the Vogue, and then they kind of just dropped off. But the most consumed Spanish language content is usually Mexican, and the stars, Kate del Castillo, Eugenio Derbez, are Mexican. So... It, and by the way, the the majority of the population in the United States is also Mexican uh, when it comes to Hispanics. And when you look at those percentages, 62%, I think, of uh, Latinos in living in the United States are Mexican. It's an easy draw for them to go Mexico. It's just the, yeah, the, the richer one and it's the more you know uh, popular one. So... I think that's where maybe someone like you who's not Mexican and like myself don't necessarily go, okay, yeah, I get this. But can you look past that, Kelvin? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Look, uh, Mexico has a rich, like you said, they had at one time, you know, the golden cinema back in the days. Um, Cantinflas, right? Yeah, Cantinflas. And, and, and yeah, they have rich, beautiful. I've been to Mexico a few times. Will an ethnic film at Pixar which is a representation and expectation of pure prestige, go far enough to win an Oscar in 2018. Because it seems like every Pixar movie does. And if they win the Oscar for best animated feature, which they might, they might. Yeah, if they might, Brave won it, it. It looks beautiful, dude. Like it, literally, I'm like, wow, this looks really nice. What will happen? What will be the future impact of diverse animated films moving forward if it wins the Oscar. I think that Pixar will probably now say, okay, we did the Day of the Day, we did the Mexican culture. What's another... Indian, Indian which is another culture. great culture. I'd love to see an Indian Bollywood Pixar film, man. I exactly. would love you know, to see that. Another, they'll probably go after another... Asian. You know, yeah, exa exactly. Something very cultural for... Uh, what What is the risk in creating a ethnically diverse animated movie in your mind what's the risk that pixar suffers well how come they're just doing it now it all depends on how they're going to market this film and that's what something that i was talking to my friend last night also i was like how are they going to and he's colombian he saw the trailer and he said that he was sold on it only because it looks beautiful mm -hmm. he's colombian he was like you know pixar cannot go wrong is what he's saying so they're very smart they they'll know how to capture the non-Latino audience, like what you're saying, the white audience. Uh, SplashReport.com. How's it going, man? Good, man. Very good. You know, you know, you know, uh, making uh, 
making noise. <laughs> That's good. What is the website about? Is is it a a a, ref, a a true reflection of what Latino Review used to be, or is this a different voice, a different tone? It's it's a, a, a um, like what you said, different voice, different tone. Back in the days, the reason I used to go online and see and, and why I created the first film site is because I used to go to, let's say, Harry Knowles' site or, or another site, and they used to put up test screening reviews, and they didn't give a crap about what studios would tell them. You know what I mean? They were just Yeah, they were, they were outlaws. They were outlaws, and that's what the site is about. It's more like going back to outlaw. But at the same time, you know, be respectful at the same time. So, you know, so but, you're kind of finding that balance between being a provocateur, yeah, exactly, right? provoking, you know, the Hollywood system, um, no. and 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 also at the same time not being so offensive. Yeah, yeah. Just tell the the news and not give your not give my opinion on it. You know, just here's the news. This is what we know. Then you know, sound off on the comment. I spoke recently to Matt Atchity over at Rotten Tomatoes last week uh, on our podcast. Mm -hmm. Rotten Tomatoes is, is an interesting thing, man. Have you have you started noticing that now every movie trailer commercial at the end says uh, it's been certified fresh by Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. yeah, they've literally become like a seal of approval that studio systems are using. And one of the things that I had asked Matt was the lack of Spanish language reviews and the lack of Latino film critics uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. Because remember, yes. dude, there's still 57 million people that live in the United States that are Latino that speak Spanish as well. If they're going to Rotten Tomatoes, which is the number one movie-going demographic, and they're going to go check stuff out, and they don't see anything Latino-oriented, I'm not saying that that's, you know, uh, but, but, but it's a growth opportunity is what I'm saying. They haven't used it. Why do you think that is? Is it because of a, it's a lack of film, Latino film critics? Are there enough? Have you, how many Latino film critics do you know, Kelly? Uh, at the top of my head, I can say you, um, I guess myself. The staff they, that you've worked to, with? I have Mario, who's on, on, the, on the Splash Report. I have Jorge, who's on the Splash Report. And none of them on Rotten Tomatoes because they have to go through the system where you have to be approved. I hate the criteria that they have. You know, exactly. I hate the criteria. You know? First of all, you know, and we spoke about this too. He, Matt understands that technology is totally affecting film criticism today. Yeah. For example, not everybody has access to see these films. But when they do see him, for example, um, on, you know, in a theater opening weekend, they might just do movie reviews on Twitter. They might just yeah. write a movie review on Facebook. So even though you don't have a website, you're still writing movie reviews. So, yeah, yeah, some, some people do video movie reviews. Going back to the Splash Report, look, a few days ago, two days ago, we put up, uh, wasn't even a review. It was literally the buzz that was coming out for... Um, Blade Runner, twenty forty nine. Wait to see this movie. All right, so the buzz was, and I'll tell you here. I mean, I took it down already because, you know, they had their reasons for me to take it down. Like, you know, listen, you saying this and it can hurt the film. Like, really, I can hurt the film? How? Like, because the buzz that we got was wait, who 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 contacted you? <laughs> lawyers and and again. And yeah, lawyers and studio people. Please take it down. You know, you're affecting the film. Yeah, please take it film. down because of this, because of that. Even though it was true, there was a test screening for it on Tuesday night in Jersey. And the buzz was that, you know, put it that way, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't positive. 
right? And 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 most of it is because it was a almost three hours long. Test screenings for me sometimes help the director tighten the movie and make it better. That's the stuff that I used to like reading in in the cool news, for example. I used to always go there and read the test screening reviews and stuff like that. So that's what I try to do. I, I try to be like a renegade and put up whatever the <laughs> hell I want. Uh, right. If people want to know more or contact you or, you know, just read up on what's going on, where can they reach you? Well, they can reach the site at the, on Twitter on The Splash Report. And you can follow me at, you know, at Twitter myself, uh, Kelvin, two L's, underscore Chavez on Twitter. Kelvin, thanks a lot, man. Enjoy your weekend, buddy. Before we wrap up the show, here's three songs you might want to add to your playlist this week. Everything Now, Arcade Fire. To you, Justin Bieber featuring David Guetta. Pendulum, Katy Perry. That's a wrap for our 35th episode of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Mike Sargent and Kelvin Chavez for coming on the show. And I want to thank you guys, as always, for listening. If you want to get a shout-out from us, tweet me at JackRicoOfficial. We'd love to hear your suggestions and feedback. Also, you can hear us now on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Stitcher. Also, please subscribe and share with your friends if you can. It always helps. See you again next Friday on another episode of... Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.